The reading is from the beginning of the book of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do it according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. I did not introduce this reading with a setting. I should have. Father Andrew, you know, just does that. Where he reads to you, he puts his setting. It's very useful. It's very, very useful. I should have done it tonight. Let me give you the setting. Now that you've already heard the reading without the setting. The words of God to Joshua provide the setting of the scene. The narrator doesn't do it. It's in the dialogue that you have the, the setting. The Lord, when he speaks with Joshua, says, this Jordan, Haryadan Hazay, this Jordan. 
It refers to Haribon Hazay, this Lebanon. The scene is rendered clear and immediate. Joshua is standing there facing west. In fact, the text refers to the place where the sun goes down. The Jordan River is in front of him. Actually, it's going this way. He can't see it, but a hundred miles away to the right stand the mountains of this Lebanon, dark with conifer trees. There's the scene. Moses is gone. And Joshua's important task is about to begin. His new service will be the subject of the book that bears his name. Now, God will not speak with Joshua as often as he spoke to Moses. Instead, Joshua will be instructed by God's words in a book, a sefer, a book. Again, the scene is immediate. Just be strong and very courageous to observe and do in accordance with all of the Torah, called Torah, called Torah, that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Now, there's a reference there, isn't there? There's a reference to a book. Moses, before he died, handed over this Torah as recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what it reads in chapter 31 of the book of Deuteronomy. So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, at Dabre, HaTorah, HaHazot, Al-Sefer, all the words, the words of the law in a book, a sefer. When they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take the book of the law at Sefer HaTorah Hazeh, actually the work, work of this law, and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Again, observe the adjective. This, Hazeh, it's a specific actual scroll. Now, as the Israelites are about to cross the Jordan into the land of promise, God informs Joshua that from now on, he is to take his instructions from this book. From this point on, Israel will become an Anshe Hasefer, a people of the book, be identified by the book. They are given the book at precisely the moment they are about to be given the land. The whole life, the future history of God's people must be, must be governed by Sefer HaTorah, the book of the Torah. 
the Lord specifies what will be Joshua's relationship to this book. And here I'm hoping everyone will hear something practical. Here's what it, here's what it reads, and I'll try to spell it out as we go along. This book of the law, Sefer HaTorah Zeh, shall not depart from your mouth. Mipika, from your mouth. You shall meditate upon it. Ahagit bo, ahagit bo. You meditate on it. Vom yom valayala, day and night. Let us note here three points about this instruction. First, we observe that the wording is identical to the description of the just man in the first psalm. He meditates on his law, his Torah, day and night. Psalm 1. It's the same words here in Joshua 1. This consistent meditation on the law is an essential feature of biblical piety, sometimes called Torah piety. The fathers of the church inherited this piety from the apostles who inherited it from the rabbis. The blessed man of Psalm 1 is constantly preoccupied with the words of the Torah. Second, observe that this meditation is not a purely mental activity. It involves the movement of the mouth. The words of God's law, Joshua is told, shall not depart from your mouth. Mipika. The Hebrew verb used for meditate here is a form of haga. Meditation is a word that it's in it's in contemporary parlance in psychology, transcendental meditation, all those. And, those various forms of the Eastern Indian religions that have come over into English, none of that has anything to do with the Bible. Meditation in the Bible is physical as well as mental. Peace, Adik, Yagi, Chokmah, says Psalm 37, the mouth of the just man mouth of the just man meditates wisdom. As understood in the prayer tradition of the church, such meditation is discursive, even analytical, what the Germans call betrachtend. Meditation in the Bible is not an attempt to transcend thought. Transcendental meditation is a very dangerous thing. And we have Christians who are actually encouraging it in something called spirituality. 
one of the one of the worst words ever invented. The word is about 200 years old. The word spirituality. It's not a biblical word. It's not a traditional word. You'll never find the word in any fathers in the church. Biblical meditation is not an attempt to transcend thought. It's not a psychological game to put yourself into a psychological state. Biblical meditation involves rather an attempt to think. It has nothing to do. In fact, it's polar opposite of what is today called transcendental meditation. The Greek verb used in the Septuagint to translate this expression, haka, is melatao. Melatao, which still, even today, is the Greek word for to study. Study. You know, even the Latin etymology of the word meditate, because it is a Latin word, it carries a similar sense. Meditation is derived from the root miti, which means measure. Sure, the word meter in there? Metrics? Miti, miti. To meditate in Latin is to measure something, to take the measure of it, to work it through, to size it up. Meditation is an exercise of discursive thought and reflective analysis. Biblical meditation is cerebral, but it's cerebral in a whole sense. It involves not only the brain, but the mouth. It's the constant activity of man speaking, listening to, hearing, thinking about God's Word. Notice that in Holy Scripture, meditation is always concerned with the text. That's why when you when we pray, we normally have a text in front of us. We don't have to, because we often know the text by heart. But we're supposed to be using words, we're using text. That is to say, meditation understood in the Bible is always literary. And literature involves hearing, doesn't it? Sound. Anything worth reading is worth reading out loud, by the way. Anything worth reading, reading. Somebody wrote me the other day when I said that. You mean I have to read uh, Dickens out loud? I said, God's sake, don't tell me you're reading Dickens silently. I'd be missed three quarters of Dickens. Goodness. Tell me, please tell me you haven't been doing that. So we speak the word of God, we hear the word of God, we ponder and scrutinize the word of God, and when do we do that? Day and night. The Lord then tells Joshua that his mouth and his mind are to be continually day and night, preoccupied with God's revealed word. Now God is not giving that command to a monk or to a monastic. He's giving that command to the leader of the people. The man is going to be extremely busy all the time. He has a great deal to do. God wants to make sure that man does not dry up. Because those who meditate on the law of the Lord day and night are like a tree 
planted near the running streams, which bears its fruit in due season. In this very active life Joshua is about to live, he must not stray from chewing on the bread of God's word by which man lives.